Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters for Tuesday. Uh, I am joined by Nick Buckley and Dan. Hello. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about the fact of, uh, do you remember the Ukrainian war? I'm sure nobody does. Very in the distant past. Uh, the Police and Crime Commissioner for Greater Manchester. That nobody knows exists. And also they have no idea, which will be a conversation about uh, local man. Anyway. I have an announcement to make, I believe, which is just uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, we'll be doing the Cyberpunk Dystopia Part 7. We were meant to do before, but Carl was ill, so reschedule it, and now it's here. Tomorrow at 3 o'clock UK time, so do come and join. Otherwise, suppose we shall begin. Yeah, so do you remember the Ukraine war? Um, I'm not sure a lot of people do. If you if you do remember it, there's some cheap merchandise available for it at the moment. Um, everything Everything's sort of going cheap on this one. Not a lot of people still remember this one, but um, but it, apparently it was it was a thing. I was there. Yes, up until relatively recently, we're told this was this was a thing. I remember the black and white movies about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And but well, it's um, I mean, it wasn't always a thing. I mean, there was an, there was another thing before that, which was which was COVID. Um, now I, de- I definitely remember that one because it, that one was twenty four seven total narrative all the time. Um, you know, every politician, every journalist, every Twitter pundit, you know, every university admissions department and every supermarket manager with a bloody budget for floor stickers and plexiglass. You know, it was yeah, it, it, it was it was an all encompassing narrative uh, until relatively recently. And if you remember, they kind of walked us right up to the brink on that one mm. because people were getting fired. Loads of people lost their jobs. They threatened to sack something like 10 percent of the NHS. Um, in the name of this thing. They they fired all the care home workers. Um, some places went even further. Greece and Austria basically made it illegal, started fining people. Austria walked up to the day before they had to go out and start arresting millions of people and putting yeah. them in camps uh, because of their refusal to get on board with the COVID narrative and to, and to have the thing uh, that they were required to have. They walked up right up to the line on that one. Um, you know, articles like this... Um, you know, the local the, the freedom vitriol, lover. Yeah, the total and complete vitriol that was poured out on this one. And then, if you remember, just one day we woke up and it was just gone. Hmm. The narrative had just disappeared. Um, and, and basically. Um, yeah, but why did that happen exactly? Well, I, I would say it's probably because there was, there was starting to be some serious pushback. And they walked us up to the line where they would have had to have really taken the gloves off. Maybe elsewhere, but in the UK, the moment it died overnight, it was visual. You could see people not bothering anymore. Was when the news came out that Boris Johnson was partying. When you I found th- out the elites didn't care. Yeah. Suddenly it was like, oh, we don't have I to. Th- I think either. that's a factor, but it, it, it kind of disappeared across the world at the same time. Mm. It really didn't. Like, I remember us doing podcasts about what happened in the UK that no one was wearing masks anymore, none of the rules applied. And we had loads of friends and comrades in Germany and whatnot being like, you lucky bastards. Right. So all their media were Dragged constantly being like, well, the British, well, the British, you know, they're not doing this anymore. Why are we? But I mean, places like that, Germany, and in particular Austria, I mean, they, they got to the point where they really would have had to have started the mass arrest in the concentration camps if they wanted to carry on that level of momentum that they did have. Maybe. So it kind of coasted for a while, but I mean, essentially, it, it sort of just dropped away. Australia, it reminded yeah. me very much of, of this book, um, George Orwell's 1984. You know, in, in that, the party maintains a state of perpetual war and the war serves as this control, as, as a focus for people's sort of emotions and it keeps them in a constant state of anxiety um, and it prevents them from questioning the, the, the party's authority. Now, in this case, I'm not talking about a literal party. I'm talking more about more of a uniparty, a sort of globalist structure, you know, the, the entire 
um, cabal that we have running things at the moment. It was it was much more of that. And and the other thing that you, you get from 1984 is that the the party frequently changed the identity of the enemy. Um, and it was and it used its propaganda to convince people that the new enemy has always been the enemy. And it was always, um, you know, total, there was a manipulation of, of any sort of inconvenient facts in history was sort of airbrushed away. Um, and again, that sort of stopped people from questioning the, long, the long-term legitimacy of the, of, of the existing structure that they had. So, you know, to, 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 to misquote 1984, you know, we, we were never at war with plastic straws. We were always at war with COVID. And then it's, you know, we were never at war with COVID. We were always at war with Russia. You know, thing, things moved on. So anyway, so getting us to, getting us to that point with COVID, you know, we then got um, we then got another eighteen months new cycle of Ukraine, mm. and I think it is worth coming back to because with both of these narratives, they were just so intense, in so full spectrum narrative that entire time there was no escaping it at any point. I mean, it was just being screamed at you constantly, and in both cases, oh, it's just gone, just gone. If you go if you go to the BBC news page today, there there is no mention of Ukraine. They they've got a section behind the cost of living section that you can navigate into. But there's nothing on the front page about it. And COVID, of course, has, has, has completely disappeared. I mean, it's just, it's just all gone. So again, this, this, this regime shift that was all-encompassing, every politician, every journalist, every Twitter pundit, every neocon warhawk and every middle-class garden with a flagpole was all over this thing. And then, you know, just gone. Anyway, so the, the, the new thing that has gone, and I've decided to call it, uh, oh yes, that's a that's a, a sort of relevant meme to the uh, uh, to the um, the events. But yeah, so I, I've basically decided to call it Russia has won. Um, you know, the collective West um, has 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 lost another war, um, and I just want to kind of. I'm not going to show all of my workings for this, but you know, I, I, I've called it, so therefore it is official. But um, I, I will show you a couple of points that sort of demonstrate quite neatly why you know this is why this is gone, why why Russia has won. You know, it is a just it just it is just a question of playing it out at this point. Can we click into the video, gone, John, and we're um, we we'll see what this chat from the US has to say? But you don't want to be trying to bake in long term support when you're at the end of the rope. And uh, in Ukraine, on the Ukraine funding, we're. We're coming near to the end of the rope. I mean, today we announced $200 million, um, and we'll keep that aid going as long as we can, but it, it's it's not going to be indefinite. So are we moving with a sense of alacrity? Absolutely. I couldn't give you a date. So, I mean, as you can see, guys, the money's been turned off. Hmm. So what you just watched there was the narrative morph from as long as it takes to um, as long as we can. I think Ukraine really, for me, was used to turn everyone's eyes away from the mess up that was COVID. Yeah. So governments wouldn't, didn't want to answer any of their mistakes or go into the detail of what they did Absolutely. over those two years. So it was like, we need something shiny for the people to look at. Look at the old fashioned enemy we called Russia that we've been on off war for like 200 years, if not longer, Russia, Russia, Russia. And there was a dozen of conflicts live at the time, but this one got intense focus. Yeah. Well, it is close to home. Like it's actually in Europe instead of some country that no one cares about. I mean, and to be fair, yeah. very few people care about Ukraine anyway. I mean, it's relatively yeah. close to But your point's entirely right because, I mean, in a person, Boris Johnson, a man who completely messed up COVID, was then shown to not have cared at any point, but still put us under lockdown. And then immediately everyone remembers he became Ukraine's best friend. Mm. And all of his campaigning to us was, well, I support Ukraine. And the British public were like, well, maybe you could support us. Mm. That would be a better campaign. But... That wasn't his strategy. Instead, as you rightly say, it was a 
a way of trying to cover up his failures. It was a distraction strategy, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it worked incredibly well. Um, you know, and, and then the focus became all about all this money that was sort of sent over there. Now, I don't believe for a moment that all of that money that has, has been sent to go out there actually went out there. What I can imagine is that uh, a lot of old military equipment has been given a book value, um, and that's been shipped out there. Now, there's one thing that um, I was talking to a forensic accountant years ago because there was a business I was involved in which I had some concerns over, and they said, well, you know, if you if you want to if you want to lose money in the system, by far the best way to do it is to have two companies in the same structure and basically shift products and services between the two of them. You could lose a lot in the yeah. gaps that way. That's almost certainly what's been happening here with this with this money flow that's been going out there. How much of um, you know real value actually went out to grain, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if an awful lot of it ended up in um, in sort of black book war chests. Well, some uh, of it ended up in Gaza. Well, yes. Well, we have witness accounts. I've been over it before. There's a guy called Lindy Beige, very cool YouTube channel. And he did an interview with a volunteer, a British volunteer, who went to go fight for the Ukrainians. And he goes through his whole period of training and then going to fight for ages and then coming back because you know, he wants some time off. And one of the really interesting parts is when the first time they were actually deployed, they're in this convoy. And in the convoy, there's two trucks that are filled to the brim with rifles, ammo, blah, 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 blah. And when they get to the location where they're going to be deployed, one of the trucks has made it, but the other one's just disappeared. Yeah. Never found again. Full of American weapons and American ammo and so forth, but that's, that's just gone now. I can well believe it. So now the unit just doesn't have that truck. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean at its root, I think it was a, a massive sort of money laundering exercise. But I mean, actually, it's, it's the money that convinces me that you know, there's no question now Russia was one because Russia always had the advantage in terms of sort of population, military size, production capability, all that kind of stuff. The only the only leveling factor was Western money that was being put into it. And I know we've got big questions about how much of that actually went there and how much was siphoned away, but that was the only factor mm. that on paper gives Ukraine any advantage. And we just had a guy there explaining basically know that that money is being turned off. I, I've got another, um, well, I, I, I'm going to clip for you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a bit from a, um, an interview with NB Business Outlet. And this is a guy called um, Gavin Gray, who was, uh, he's, he's a bigwig at the um, IMF. Uh, the quote from him is, everyone understands that over time, the international support for Ukraine will decrease. Well, actually, that's not what we were led to believe until recently. We were told as long as it takes. Uh, he goes on to say, so the country needs to develop internal resources for self-financing. The authority should focus on strengthening the capacity to collect revenues, both taxes and customs. So basically put up taxes. Hmm. On, on what are they going to put up taxes on? There's, there's no functional economy there. Um, I'm going to give you another example. Um, this is... Now, I want to be clear with this. When you listen to this, right, do not think that you are, you are listening to two individuals having a discussion. What you are listening to is two individuals playing out a script in order to give you a message. So listen to this and, and understand that they are sending you a message and what is that message. Let's play this, John. The latest situation. The counteroffensive is going as planned. As much is as, it going as planned? Well, as much as we can uh, have it going as planned with the amount of weapons and the quality of the ammunition uh, that we're getting. Uh, the steadier the deliveries and the bigger the deliveries of the armaments for Ukraine, the faster the counteroffensive can go. The problem the is you've, got, you've regained what less than one percent of the ground that you lost before the invasion. Unfortunately, that is. And the you case. only have like another month to go before another month or so before the cold and the winter settles in before we can. Uh, before we will have to actually pause 
until the springtime. And this is the sad news for us. And I think not just for us, but all the countries that are supporting Ukraine right now. Uh, is that continuing? Because um, I get the impression, I'm certainly told, that there is, uh, you, you're having to try harder and harder to get aid specifically from Europe and other Western countries. Uh, it is getting harder and harder because Russia is winning the battle of a protracted conflict today. So they are uh, uh, in terms of protracted conflict strategies that they are trying to impose on Ukraine and the world. Uh, unfortunately, we have to say that they are gaining the upper hand yet again. So, I mean that that is basically softening people up on all of this mm. stuff. You know, they, the the narrative changed. I think several weeks ago. I don't know if you, if you guys picked up on when the narrative on this really started to change, but it was that there was a lot of emphasis placed on that um, counter-offensive. It didn't really go anywhere. Um, and, you, and you could hear the messaging in the regime machine, in the news machine change. And it's basically a way of indicating to all of the sort of lackeys in the system, you need to start stepping away from this. You need to start um, disassociating yourself. You need to find a new focus. You need to find something else to put your, put your time and effort in. But that is that subtle sort of regime messaging. You noticing that? Yeah, I think that this probably doesn't signal the end of sending money to the Ukrainian state en masse from the United States either, because, I mean, there are arguments for it either way. But take, for example, Afghanistan, where there was no argument. This was just a huge waste of time and everyone knew it. I mean, in 2010 or something, the British publicly said, yeah, we're done with this. And the Americans stuck around for another nine years for some stupid reason. Mm. It, I don't want to underestimate the idea of the the money pit that the United States system yeah. can seem to to function on. Oh, I'm sure, and that's sure with Afghanistan, where there basically is no argument with Ukraine. At least there's an argument by oh, we're weakening Russia, and that's our geopolitical rival. Mm. So, I, I really don't think they're actually going to stop. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be there's an advantage for money laundering reasons to be able to maintain a trickle. But it's just the the public perception. Yeah, but they're just not forget about they're it. not getting the big appropriations through the Senate anytime soon. But one of the things I found most interesting about the narrative shift you mentioned is Poland. When the polls turned around and said, yeah, Ukraine is like a drowning man and we don't want to save him because he'll drown us too as we save him. Mm. I think that was the prime minister. Words to that effect. I was like, okay, that's interesting from the polls. Mm. So there is yeah. definitely a shift, but I don't yeah, think it's I mean, I, I've been hearing this from a while from them. They, they've basically been signaling to all their people, you know, get, get off of this and go on to something else. And, um, you know, I want to be careful how I phrase this because I don't want to appear in any way insensitive, but the, the events in Israel over the last few days were basically, I think, a bit of a gift to the regime because they, they wanted something to distract from this because they knew that they'd lost the funding argument. That wasn't getting through, you know, mm. the, the, the Senate anymore. The population wasn't really there for it. I mean, I can, I can go for a drive in the countryside now and not see a Ukraine flag sticking out of a middle class, up a middle class garden. Um, whereas those were everywhere sort of a year ago, you know, there, there, there has been that shift. And again, sort of coming back to my, my sort of point about 1984, you know, there, there was always a perpetual war. Um, you know, sometimes it was a war on a, on a virus or on, and sometimes it was a war on a different country and sometimes it was a war on a terrorist state, but there was always a perpetual war and it's, and it's always blasted out in these sort of intense ultra-narrative terms to keep everybody in a perpetual state of anxiety on this stuff. So, you know, and, and, and of course, the, the, um, um, the, the narrative changes. And then, of course, you've got, you got, you got those two, uh, you know, Kay and um, that Ukrainian MEP and saying that, you know, um, Russia is, is, is basically winning the kinetic war. Mm. Well, yeah, but that, that is the war. The, the, the West has been busy maintaining the, the narrative war um, for the last 18 months. 
Um, but you know, narrative wars don't actually win battles. They don't. But I think it was pretty obvious pretty soon when this started that Russia was no threat to the West. Mm. When we were told Russia was going to invade, it was quite a common feeling that Russia used to be a world power, has nuclear weapons, they could sweep through Europe yeah. like the Nazis did. Yes. And they've had several years now. They can't even beat Ukraine. And Ukraine is has hardly any armaments. I know they've been supplied now. So Russia proved to the world that they're not a threat to anybody, really, apart from one or two of their neighbours. Um, and it should have ended there. That's when we should have sought some sort of peace agreement. Well, there, there was there was a there was a peace deal on the table in what was it March of 2022, <clears throat> and uh, Boris Johnson flew out there and, and scuppered it. Um, and and they do they do this thing. I mean, that's the other thing that I noticed. They do this thing where a whole bunch of senior figures from you know the the coalition, you know, mm. European, a Brit, and a, an American, will fly out there and deliver the same message. So Boris Johnson flew out there, and I think it was you know March or April of, of 2022, and he kind of boshed this peace deal that they had basically mm. ready to go with the Russians. And you also got some senior US and EU people go out there. And we've just had the same thing a few weeks back as well, where basically the money people flew out. And said, yeah. yeah, okay, we're, we're turning off your money taps. And that's when you started seeing these um, sort of statements coming out from the IMF and from mm. the Americans and so on saying, yeah, that, that, that money tap is being turned off. I mean, to your point, I can imagine there's going to be a long trickle of, of cash because it's useful for money laundering purposes, but it's going to be nothing of the scale that is going to overcome the fact that you know, you've got a significantly larger country with a significantly larger military against a significantly smaller country. And I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, you, Ukraine has done well grinding it out, but at the cost of, you know, horrific numbers of casualties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's, I mean, the, um, I think the average age of um, Ukrainian soldiers is now over 40. Mm. I mean, remarkable. So, you know, the, 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 the people in the, in the high command are getting younger and the people on the front line are getting older, mm. um, which, is, which is a worrying sign. And I just think, you know, it was, it was always going to be this way with this lot. I mean, the, it was, the, the, the guy in charge was, was never a serious character. And I'm, I'm going to point up something which, um, you know, got dismissed when we pointed this out in the early stages of this. But, you know, th this, is, uh, this is President Zelensky pay, playing the piano with his penis. So let, let's just watch this. That's Yeah, I mean, if, but to be fair to him, he was a comedian. Yeah, and just because but, you're a comedian doesn't mean then you can't move into another profession to be taken seriously. So, I, I, I get I, your point. I, I, I don't. I don't think this man is a statesman. He may not be, but, but who is in Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the previous governments we were speaking before we started were all complete corrupt individuals who also couldn't be taken seriously. Mm. So, and I think you'll find that's throughout the whole history of the human race. Most leaders are like that. And then going back to your book, what I think is our problem, it's human nature. So it's like a symbiotic relationship between the citizen and their leaders. So leaders, citizens go, we're going to make you leader, but you've got to keep us safe. So leaders go, we're going to keep you safe against a saber-toothed tiger. So we're going to build a wall. Right, we've done that now. Well, how are you keeping us safe now? Because we're already safe from the tiger. I need to create another enemy now to keep them safe from. And it's that symbiotic relationship going backwards and forwards that leads us to this sort of yeah. politics. Well, I mean, he quite obviously didn't keep his people safe, but I mean, no. I, t I take your point. The 
um, you know, the, the Western powers are able to present another bogeyman after after the virus is going to yep. get you unless you do everything that we say and you and you give give up your freedoms and you send us more tax money and we keep you safe from the yep. virus. Then it was, oh, now you need to give up your freedoms and give us more tax money. We keep you safe from the evil Putler. Yeah, and then and, and, and now it's Islamic extremists again. Yeah. Which is always a yep. nice one to have in your back pocket to pull out whenever you and, need it. And no doubt we're now going to get a, a string of terrorist attacks in yep. the West, um, plenty going on in the Middle East, um, and then that will run for 18 months and there'll be another news cycle. Yep. Um, there'll be another There'll be another current thing. So, I mean, I just wanted to do this because I know no one's talking about Ukraine anymore, but I just wanted to point out that, you know, bear in mind, you know, in recent memory, the, the, the narrative has just changed on a dime several times. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you've got to watch out for this, not get wrapped up in the current narrative. Step back and see what the people in charge are actually benefiting from it, from any of this stuff. And it's basically look at the shiny thing. Look at don't look over here. Look at yep. the shiny thing. Look at the shiny thing. The yeah. Yeah, that. that's it. Look at the shiny thing. Yeah, exactly. Quite right. Mm. Next, I think it's mine. So I want to talk about the police crime commissioner, especially for Greater Manchester. Um I don't know where you two gentlemen live, but do you know who your police crime commissioner is? Not a clue then. Yeah. No, that's part of the problem. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. So in the positions were created a decade ago, um, 2012, across the country. So every area now, every police force on top of it has a police crime commissioner yeah. who's responsible for the police, who's a public, who's, who can be held publicly accountable. Before that, there would be a group of people called the police authority, which were made up by local politicians, some community groups, some other people, and you never knew who, who that group of 12 people were. Now we have one person. Is, is this person a genuinely powerful individual who can get stuff done? No. Right. Um, no. So it's a nice person to execute when something goes wrong. It's... Politically speaking, YouTube. No, because they then say, I have no power. Great. Perfect. So, so it's, then no one's at fault. And we can all move on. That's a great. It, it's one of those non-roles that I, I, the more, yeah. it shouldn't be because I was a big supporter of it when this came out a decade yeah, ago. I, I, I really liked the idea when I first heard it, and I, what I was envisaging in my mind is, you know, the guy for you know, hopefully the guy for Wessex would come along and say, <coughs> right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build ten new prisons, yep. and anyone who burgles, rather than letting them out on probation immediately, yep. or not sending them to prison, are just going to put them in jail for twenty years. And I was yep. like, yes, I like that idea. Yep. And then nothing happened. Well. Nothing can happen because the police crime commissioner can't build prisons because that's a home office decision. Right. Can't change the law and make new laws up and can't even interfere, can't even interfere with the directions you give to judges. So none of that comes under their remit whatsoever. Okay, so nothing like the American system. Then. No. It's basically about the police force. Right. So that that's all they have an influence in. So they can write policy and strategy for the police force. They can't interfere on particular cases, they can't say to the chief constable, right, those people who burgled houses, I, no, 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 you can't start talking about individual cases. That's not your remit. You only can write policies and strategies. It's... But they're, but they're pointless. Not necessarily, because through those policies and strategies, you can then change the police force to start doing work in other areas and prioritise certain things. But what's happened is it's become a political position. Can, can you deprioritise stuff? Yes. But Okay. Yeah. So you could you could say to your police force, I'm going to write a strategy. My strategy is two lines. Stop doing the the trans shit or something. Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Not stop doing it. Place it lower down the priority because again okay. you can't undo laws. So what you can say to your police is, you, we have no officers mm. sat at a desk working on tweets. 
that yes. doesn't come under our strategy at all. So therefore, chief constables will go, right, that goes because I need those resources because I'm going to be judged on something else. Okay. So that's what they were meant to do. But it became a political role mm. where the people who were the police crime commissioners went, do you know what? This is a stepping stone to something better. I bet not cause any waves. I don't want to be sued by Stonewall. I don't uh, want I don't want government criticizing me in Parliament because I want to be an MP one day. I want to be the chief exec of some bank when I retire. So it's a, it's a holding role for people who, who want to start climbing the greasy pole at West. Exactly. And the best okay. example I can give you would be Boris Johnson. He used the mayor to become PM. And it works. Yep. And it worked. So the mayor of Great Manchester, when it all started a decade ago, was this gentleman, Tony Lloyd. So Tony Lloyd is now an MP in Rochdale. So he did okay. Um, yeah, so that's Tony Lloyd. So has crime reduced in Greater Manchester over the last decade since we've had this role? So I spent a few days over the weekend looking at some of the stories on the front page of the Manchester Evening News. And the Manchester Evening News covers the whole of Greater Manchester. So I'll just read some of the headlines and then we'll look at some of the stories. Two days ago, there was a, a bloodbath outside Tesco's. Hover as desperate stabbing victim staggers into a shop. It was at a party next door, a house party, get stabbed. We had to get the air ambulance to land on the street to take him to hospital. He nearly died. House party, stabbing. If we can have the next link. This is an axe man barges into someone else, someone's house, ties up the owner and robs them. We have, we have axe men now in Greater Manchester knocking on your door and robbing you. Sorry to laugh, but that's like something out of Rome Total War. No, it, the Axe Man unit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've not got serious career criminals who'll stake out a place and come in with guns and, and things like that. No, no. Yeah. You just grab an axe now out your shed and you go around robbing people in your neighborhood. Does anything like this happen where you live? No. Yeah. Well, we had, you know. Oh, yeah, but you live in Swindon. Okay. Yeah. Right. A <laughs> um, couple more headlines. Devastated family of man killed in another axe attack by his cousin. That's in Trafford. Another one. You can't hurt me now. Woman tells the court over a rapist who committed two rapes within two weeks. That was Levenshume in Manchester, next to where I grew up. I have family in Levenshume. I used to walk to the picture house in Levenshume and go skating there next door yeah. to the picture house. But I mean, Ma Manchester has changed a lot, hasn't it? I mean, it really, really. Was that TV series? Because there was that um, TV series with a. a Policeman goes back in time. And yes, was that Manchester? Life on Mars. Yes, yeah, I think Manchester? I think it was because because the yeah. old Manchester then it looked quite good and and I think I I think you were supposed to get the impression that it was awful back then and the police were bad, but actually I got the impression that I bloody loved that. What I saw, it's good and bad. So I mean, let's go right. back to the sixties and seventies. Police were more corrupt than they are now. Yes, if they thought you'd done something wrong, good chance you get fitted up, even if you're innocent. And, if you, and there's a good chance you'd be taken around the back of the station and you'd get 10 bells kicked out of you. Mm. Those things shouldn't have happened then, shouldn't happen now. Right. But on the flip side, we had dedicated officers who made sure on their beat, criminals were terrified. Well, you, you had a community. Yeah. And you had police who were of that community and understood the community. And the, commu you, the community thing works because the community has changed to such an extent that there is, it has lost that cohesion. It has partly due to immigration, but also partly down to our individual sense as well. We're all individually focused now. No one hardly right. anyone now cares about fam families breaking down. No one cares about family. No one cares about community. It's all about 
me and mine. So why would I report these people to the police because I've had some intelligence? That might come back on me. But do you know what? On the grand scheme of things, I don't care about the community. I only care about me. That's a big part of it as well. If we can have the next link. It's not always just serious violence as well. This was a fight breaking out at a Deacon Blue concert in the man- middle of Manchester City Centre. Deacon Blue, this middle-class group from the, from the 90s, and there's violence at concerts with Deacon Blue. That's how far we're falling across the country, but especially in Greater Manchester. Violence is getting to almost epidemic levels now. And like I say, I didn't go hunting for these stories. These are all on the front page of the online Manchester Evening News. I can believe it. Yeah. So, as we said before, I fully supported the police crime committees when they first came out. I thought, we can finally have someone to hold accountable. Because at that time, the police are doing a poor service in your area. Who do you blame? Well, you can blame the police, but you have no influence over the police. They're run by the chief constable. Well, there's nothing you can do to the chief constable. Complain to your local councillors. They say, I'm a councillor. There's nothing to do with me, the police. That covers the whole of the region. Oh, Complain chief MP, well, your police force is over several areas and they've run by a chief constable and I'm not. So, so who do you complain to? That's why it was created. So you could say, Joe Bloggs is the police crime commissioner of my police force. I think my police force is rubbish. I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to make sure you're not elected in the next election unless you change, unless you do the things I want. And maybe he doesn't do the things you want, because he's doing what the most people want. That's fine. That's do you know what the turnouts for these elections are. <sighs> I imagine, unless it's on the same day as a, as a Westminster election, yeah. it's probably next to nothing. I would say it's about a third. You get about a third turnout at okay. the mayor election, PCC elections, a third turnout. Right. Do you guys remember when there was the first election of police and crime commissioners? I remember the BBC coverage. Yeah. There was one place in Wales where zero human beings had voted. Yeah. So they didn't know what to do. Presumably the candidates didn't even vote for themselves, so I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, that goes back to what I've been saying for decades. We're partly to blame our apathy of not engaging in the system and then complaining about the system. Um, then we had a little bit of attacking democracy here because we had a police crime commissioner, Tony Lloyd, and then the government said, you're going to have a mayor of Greater Manchester. And that mayor is also going to be the police crime commissioner as well. We're going to hold a mayor election in three years' time. But before we hold the election for mayor, we're going to give the job to Tony Lloyd because he's been elected as the PCC. Yeah, he was. But he wasn't elected as mayor. So they gave him the job of mayor without an election. They just gave it to him. Now, that doesn't fit right with me at all. And then we had an election in 2017 and Andy Burnham then stood for Labour and Andy Burnham won and he's won the previous, the next election as well. So that's the history to that. If we look at the government website, Police Crime Commissioners, um, if we scroll down, if we can scroll down to where it says Deputy, oh, yeah, up, that's it, Deputy Mayor bit there. So Deputy Mayors for Policing and Crime. So Greater Manchester, the Mayor, holds the responsibilities of the PCC. So the mayor is the police crime commissioner. But the mayors don't want to be the PCC, so they give the job to, the, to a deputy mayor. They just create a job at 80 grand a year and say, here you go, pal, you can be the police crime commissioner with no election. I'm giving you the job. So the democracy 
of the PPC to make sure someone's held accountable is just cleared away. And then when people complain about the police, Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, goes, I gave that to my deputy. You need to ask those questions of my deputy. Well, I don't, I don't think you even say that. He'll probably just say, well, we have a police and crime commissioner and, and just ob- obfuscate that. And that's what yeah. they do. That's what yeah. they do. So we're back in Greater Manchester. We're back to where we started. We don't know who to hold accountable for policing in Greater Manchester. Um, Andy Burnham doesn't want the job. He's made it perfectly clear. Um, if we can have the next link. And we know Andy Burnham doesn't care because he spends all this time on transport. So he's now created a new bus network in Greater Manchester. And I'm not saying public transport isn't important. I'm sure it is. But let me ask you two a question. What's more important, catching a bus on time or having an axe man at your front door trying to rob you? Yeah, I think... I know. I set that question up a little bit. That wasn't really a fair question. No, it's almost like I can vote for axe men. Yeah. (laughs) But it makes my point. Yes. The mayor should be concentrating on the most important stuff for the people in the area. He should assign transport to his deputy. And he should be looking after crime. That would be a better way around. Look at the next link. And if you scroll up a little bit, this is how Andy Burnham portrays himself in Greater Manchester. He's a Christ-like figure now because he's got us buses. We didn't have buses in the north before. We still were using horse and cart. But well, presumably you know, he thinks he can win more votes from people who use buses than he loses votes from people who occasionally have an axe man show up at their front door. Andy Burnham's not a stupid man by any stretch of the imagination, yes. but that must be his gamble. He must be thinking this. Yes. Uh, but I'm running against him, and I'm going to make sure it isn't. I want to make sure people are voting on crime because that's the most important thing. And if you have the next link, he also talks about transport that's got nothing to do with him. So when he, when we're looking at the trains, not his remit. Not his remit. Yeah. You know, he, he can have a say into it because he's the mayor of Greater Manchester. Trains go yes. through Greater Manchester. But he's constantly talking about things that he has no impact on. You know, this is all about ticket offices now across the country that they're going to be closing down. He's in charge of the Metro Link in Greater Manchester. The Metro Link has no ticket offices. So if he wants to talk about ticket offices for trains, why not talk about ticket offices for trams that he's in charge of? He doesn't. He's just always talking about transport so he can get in the news. And why does he care about that? That's because he's feathering his nest ready for a jump to Parliament. He's just like Boris Johnson. He's using the mayoral ship he's got in Greater Manchester. He's using that as a stepping stone to get back into Westminster and say, look at all the experience I've got. From his point of view, hopefully this time at a more senior role than his minor ministerial role from last time. Yeah. Yeah, and again, if you look at the front bench that leader can put, that leader that Labour can put together if they win next election, Andy Burnham would be top notch on that. But even though I disagree with his policies; he's not one of the lunatics. You know, he's a serious politician with serious ideas that I tend to disagree with. But he's not a lunatic. He would sit nicely on that bench, as Keir Starmer's at the dispatch box giving a speech, and he's looking at Keir Starmer's back, going, "Hmm, that's a nice place to put a knife." Because that's what he wants. He wants 10 Downing Street. He always has done. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's using it a stepping stone. Can the next link? It's not just that he's not concentrating on crime. It's the fact he's been in charge six years and under his watch, Greater Manchester Police were put into special measures. Greater Manchester Police were the second police force ever to be placed into special measures. They're out of it now. 
But under his watch, under his watch, the police threw away 130,000 crimes, came into the system, no one looked at him, and they all went in the bin. And then they reported how great they're doing dealing with crimes. And look at our stats. Well, 130,000 went in the bin. Um, Senior police officers failing their duty. The grooming gang scandal under his watch. The fact, you know, his report won't go into all the information and speak to victims. His failed crime in Greater Manchester. Um, And that's over the six years he's been in charge. That's what people should be voting for. Um, And then when the chief, when the chief, sorry, when the police went into special measures, he made the chief constable resign. He didn't sack him. He didn't say to him, this is under your watch. You're in charge of the police. We're sacking you. No, no. Take your time. Take a couple of weeks off, a couple of months off sick. Come back. Receive the payout. Payouts, golden handshake. You know, uh, no disrespect for you. Just resign. And he resigned. Andy Burnham should have resigned for failing the police. That's what he should have done. Um, and let's all go back to the beginning. That's what the police crime commissioners were meant to do. They were meant to be a publicly known figure that the people could hold accountable in their area if they didn't like the increase in crime or what the police were dealing with. I've knocked on 10,000 doors in Greater Manchester when I worked for the council, asking them priorities for the police. No one ever said bank robbers. No one ever said, you know, international terrorists. People used to say to me on the streets, litter, kids causing antisocial behaviour, and dog poo. They were the three things that 99% of houses would tell me when I'd knock on their door. Now, that's what people care about. Low-level antisocial behaviour that affects your life every single day. Mm. Now, I'm not saying we give murderers and rapists and terrorists a free pass. We need to be looking at that as well. But we need to be looking at the bread and butter and making people feel safer because they are safer walking down the streets and have a better quality of life. Mm. So next time there's an election in your area for the PCC, make sure you vote and make sure... You're voting for the right... I make you sure you vote for someone who's going to tackle crime and not use it as a stepping stone. Yeah, somebody who takes the job seriously because they really want to deliver for them. That's, exactly. That's what it was there for. Any questions? Where are you standing again? 2nd of May next year mm-hmm. is the May election in Greater Manchester. And as yeah. I've just said, also includes the Police Crime Commissioner role. And do you have any uh, socials to promote? Everywhere. If you check out Nick Buckley, MBE... It's the same username. I'm on everything. So check it out. And if you want to come and see me, I've, I'm actually doing a question and answer session in Wigan. Um, if you go to my social media, you'll find the links and find out there. It's, it's going to be Monday the 30th of October, 7pm, in a social club in Wigan. It'll be my first Q&A. Perfect. Sounds good. Fair enough. Let's move on. Let's do something a bit fun, I suppose. Try and have some fun. So. Some people in the world just have no idea where they actually seem to live anymore. And this is, well, the most true statement, I think, for especially really rich, upper-class race activists, that poor, poor, oppressed group. I think we can all agree if there's anyone who needs a break, it's those folks. They work so goddamn hard to find literally anything to do. It's unbelievable. And I I think I found one. And I think we're just going to go through something he wrote, which is unbelievable. So I'll just quickly get this up on screen, which is the article itself. This guy writes for the Atlantic, and you know he's not that interesting himself. He's pretty typical in the sense of like, look at him, works in academia, 
what is he? The uh, professor of sociology and African-American studies at Yale University. Basically a nobody. But in academic circles, a huge somebody. And that's why he's able to get places like this, the Atlantic, publishing, well, you know, I, before we even get into it, you know it's going to be crap. Black success, white backlash. He's just going to be whining about white people. And before we go on, I think I should promote something. So I'll promote real quick. The Lads Hour we did, ranking British cities, which was jolly good fun. So do go and check that out. That's basically just what we have a, a piss up, really. I was on the one last month. It's funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good fun. If you, if you enjoy more relaxed stuff, then uh, do go enjoy that. But otherwise, we shall get into it. Because this, uh, this guy has a pretty tame life. I mean, as you can see from us, just his Wikipedia real quick. I know it's Wikipedia, but whatever. Like, goes to multiple universities, spends his time whining about how black people are oppressed in the United States. Okay. He's born in 1943. So there's a pretty easy argument for that, obviously, throughout the history. Until you get to, like, the modern era, and then he has nothing to do with anything in the modern age. Because the problems of 1940s America in terms of race relations, funnily enough, are really not relevant. I mean, I can't think of anyone who has anything in common with someone who lived in that era when it comes to race relations. Frankly, as someone who's, you know, basically still a babby, I kind of find when people from that era talk about race relations and they think seriously in those terms of like, well, of course, we didn't let him in because he was one of them. And they'll say the word that we obviously can't say. I kind of find it not real because it's so foreign to me. And the period in which we live now, compared to when this guy was born, you know, it's so foreign just in terms of date as here's a world map of a time period going back that far. I mean, this world here, we're looking at, I think it was the 1880s. I mean, what connection does that have to this guy in the 1940s when he's growing up? I like all the, I like all the pink. Yeah, back when things were better. Yeah. You can also see, like, this is before the scramble of Africa. Like, you've still got all the African kingdoms down here selling their slaves and making a quick buck. I suppose at that point, most of them are just selling to the Arabs. There's nowhere else to sell them to. But my point being that this world here, he wouldn't recognize, obviously. Anyone born in the 40s wouldn't really have much in common with the 1880s. It's, it's just completely foreign to them. And in the same sense that that world of segregation and the civil rights movement, I mean, year upon year, I, I think we, because it's just part of your life, we don't appreciate just how far back that is now for most people, especially people in their 20s and whatnot. Yep. When you come to them in the education system and demand that they bend the knee because, don't you know, back in the, in the 60s, there was racism. So, okay, granddad, I grew up after the towers fell. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I think this is exemplified by this particular racial obsessive. Because he says in here, for example, in the piece, I want to emphasize that across the decades, many white Americans have encouraged racial equality, albeit sometimes under duress, because of course white people are evil. In response to the riots of the 1960s, the federal government, led by the former segregationist L. Lyndon B. Johnson, passed the far-reaching legislation that finally extended the full voting rights of citizenship to black people whilst targeting segregation. These legislative reforms, and especially affirmative action, was implemented via LBJ's executive orders from 1965. So there you are. Yeah, completely foreign concept to someone like me. I mean, not only America, so not here, but yeah, we still have to live in these people's world. Um, just really, really long ago now, if we're being honest, this is something I had when I remember at school, which is what, like, you know, 2010s or something, just before that, and we'd be talking to the history teacher, and they would insist that we imagine if this was happening to us. And we were like, I can't, because that doesn't even make sense. 
Like we're in a very diverse classroom. None of us give a crap about race. And you're like, yes, but don't you know that these guys here have been oppressed? And it's like, I've been in school with him for the last 10 years. No, he hasn't. Mm. If anything, he's got a better ride than me because of X, Y, and Z thing that's going on in school that has no relevance to race because we were kids. We barely understand the concept of racism. And I'm so sick of this being put to us, especially in the UK. And most people were treated poorly at this time, regardless of color. Some people had it worse, obviously. Yeah. But you know, the history of human, humanity is we've all been treated poorly throughout whole of existence with the weather, other animals, It's just the tribes. cost that was put on that mistreatment. Yeah. Because I mean, there was a lot of classism back then as well. A lot. Ooh. But then to move on, like, this is my point, because of course you can make the argument back then. These people seem to have no concept of how much has changed. And I think we can see this in this guy's writing, where he says, over the past 50 years, according to a study by Pew Research Center, the proportion of black people who are in low income, less than 52,000 US dollars a year for a household of three, has fallen seven points from 48% to 41%. The proportion <clears throat> who are in middle incomes, so this is 52,000 to 156,000 a year, has risen one point to 47%. And the proportion of those who are in high incomes, more than 156,000 US dollars a year, has risen most dramatically from 5% to 12%. Okay, massive shift. And he puts this all down to affirmative action. It worked perfectly because now we have lots of black people who are making lots of money in the United States. Right. I, would, I have got a different answer. If you look, the low income has fallen, and that's because black American culture is destructive. You look at the middle class and the higher income, they're not practicing that poor black American culture and they're doing really well and going up every single year. It's, when, it's the low income ones. There's this reason you get this sort of divide, uh, at least when you see it from the outside of the uh, black American culture, where they'll, they'll make jokes about blacks who act white, etc. Mm. And you see it in comedy sets yeah. and the cultures. And it's always because, well, that guy, he, he wants to do well in life. And it's like, don't you go meet the working class in any other country. They also want to do well. That's a bit of a weird divide to have. So I, I looked at the long-term trends of what, what's been going on here. And basically, uh, after the end of the, um, the US Civil War, you got the, an, a steady sort of up and to the right improvement in um, black families' outcomes in terms of, um, well, the, 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 the family staying together, but also all the economic aspects lining up as well and the life expectancy, all of those kind of things were basically up and to the right. And it all changed in the early 70s when fiat money came along and the welfare state yeah. really started to become established. And then um, black progress basically just stopped. And they just flatlined. Yeah. Well, what do you deem progress as well? Because, I mean, he puts this all down to affirmative action working. There we go. It worked. It all did well. And now we live in the evil age of white backlash. You want to know what he links to to try and prove that claim? Some guy whining about Trump. I mean, it, it's just to get the point that they really have just run out of steam entirely. They don't even know what to do with themselves. It's just like, yeah, uh, there's a white backlash. Why? Uh, people like Donald Trump. Okay, you're a massive waste of time. So well, They've already got one lens to interpret the entire world through. They certainly mm. do. But he goes on in here. He says, The spectacle of black doctors, CEOs, and college professors out of their place. Uh, uh, sorry, who talks like that? What the hell are you talking about? creates an uncomfortable dissonance, which white people deal with mentally by relegating successful black people to the ghetto. What? I, sorry, who's looking at Barack Obama as like, bro, you're from the ghetto? And ghettos are never built. Ghettos no. are created over time by the people who live there. Good point. He says, in a predominantly white professional spaces, this racial anxiety appears in subtler ways. Black people are all too familiar with a particular kind of interaction. 
in the guise of a casual water cooler conversation, the gist of which is sort of an interrogation. Quote, where did you come from? How did you get here? And are you qualified to be here? The presumptive answer to the last question is clearly no. Black skin evoking for white people the iconic ghetto confers an automatic deficit of credibility. No, that'll be affirmative action, mate. This is what I mean by that. They don't even seem to follow their own words to understand how much things have changed. Like, why are people suspicious of a black professional in the United States? Why well, is it because, as he puts it, people just hate black people and think they're from the ghetto? Or is it because of what you literally mentioned, which is affirmative action en masse? Exactly. So you're looking at someone in your workplace who's black and you're saying to yourself, I had to work hard for this position. I had to do overtime. I had to get myself in debt to get a university degree and get the best degree. I spent decades studying for that. And I'm looking at you thinking, did you get here through merit or did you get here because you're black? Well, it's bound to create resentment. Give you an example. Look at um, the Supreme Court of the US. Mm. Um, take a couple of the black characters, the most recent one, I can't remember her name. And then. Well, we literally call her, we call her diversity higher yeah. usually. Because but what's it's the point? incredibly obvious which of them there is on merit and yeah. which of them is there as an yeah. affirmative uh, action hire. And it's just embarrassing reading her opinions. Mm. Uh, utterly embarrassing. She seems to have no clue what she's doing. Well, I mean, he says here last year the Supreme Court outlawed affirmative action in college admissions. Mm. And, um, well, we do remember actually going through her arguments in that case in which she didn't really make any. She just argued that black people wouldn't be able to succeed but, without well, being given the All she did was freebie. CNN talking points. Yeah, she then argued that this was white supremacy on behalf of the black judge who was arguing against her. She then didn't turn up for that conversation because she just accused the black guy on the on the on the court he was a white supremacist and then left. That that, I mean, that was that was Clarence Thomas, and you could you could tell that he had fun with that opinion because he he spent like ten pages just being like he just she's a moron. Her. <laughs> mm. Yeah, he couldn't be bothered. And he goes on in here to say that I will tell a story that illustrates the social gains that this puts at risk. Uh, the social gains of no freebies. Sorry, the law changes from literal free things for black Americans, this being college admissions there. Uh, seemingly, well, not seemingly, the data showed it. This isn't even to do with white Americans. That was over Asian Americans. They were the ones getting screwed. But he says this uh, puts uh, all social progress at risk, and he goes on to tell a story about his dad. I'm going to skip over it because it's boring. It's just his dad asking him, you know, you work at Yale University teaching about African-American studies. Do your white students actually respect you? And he goes, well, some of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's not to do with you being black, mate. It's because of what you teach. Mm. It's just a complete waste of time, <laughs> but whatever. He says, in the 1960s, the only other black people in financial services firms that I studied would have been janitors, night watchmen, elevator operators, and secretaries. 30 years later, affirmative action had helped populate them with black executives. Yeah. Do you notice the problem? Because they're not there on merit. They're on their own affirmative action, yet again. I mean, this is kind of cool because it's getting to that point where these human beings who were raised in like the 40s or 50s and went through this period, they're all getting so old that they are going to die out pretty soon. And at which point we are only going to be left with people who have lived in the current era, which there is no mass discrimination. They have no claim to what is essentially like the, I don't know, the American revolution for mm. the race hustlers. I mean, if you ever talk to these people, all of their historical knowledge sort of starts in the 30s or with slavery. Is there anything that's taught at school? Yeah. That's why. It's the only thing they're able to talk about. And here. I'm not sure it'll die out. That's like saying, once Jesus dies, we can all stop talking about Christianity. Oh, I, I mean, they'll go on. I just yeah. mean that at least this guy has an argument of like, well, you can see how progress has been made in race relations no. in the 40s. And it's like, okay, yeah, fair enough. 
And then we're literally just going to have people who have never experienced any of that mm. left over with these stupid arguments. And it's kind of sad that someone this old can't see any of the change. He says here, too many people forget, if they ever knew it, the profound cultural shift affirmative action affected, and they overlooked affirmative action's critical role in forestalling social unrest. Yeah, because there's never been any race riots since the 1990s. Thanks, bro. Things are going swimmingly. Why? Because we hire guys on the basis of being the blackest instead of the most competent. I mean, the Supreme Court being a perfect example there, where Joe Biden literally just said, give me the most black and a woman candidate you can find. Yeah, he said on his campaign, didn't he say, he said the next person in the, the, the whatever it's, the, the court system he goes, it will be, I will appoint a black woman. Mm. Well, you've not even looked at any candidates yet. You've yeah, already prejudged what he was going to appoint. And then she turned out... I, I would have had more respect if he just did it at random, just like selected one off the phone book. Hmm. Well, even if you did, because that's the thing, she turned out to be a defender of child pornography uh, suspects, and also she couldn't yeah. tell what a woman was. Yeah. So we could have picked better at that, surely, with literally a data at board, but whatever. But this guy ends off his piece here. He says, What opponents of affirmative action have failed to understand is that without a ladder of upward mobility for black Americans and a general sense that justice will prevail, a powerful nurture of social concord gets lost. And this is what I mean. Like, these people are so just detached from reality and unable to learn anything that I think their passing will be one in which even their own comrades are just kind of done with because. What are you talking about? Justice here? And to illustrate this point about how bad, obviously, affirmative action is and its effects, well, we've been over this before, but I, I just have to keep mentioning it because I can't really get it through my head. Please stop. There we are. Corporate America promised to hire a lot more people of color. It actually did. And I believe you were here last time yes. we went through it. And for people who haven't seen, it's just the FTSE 100, sorry, S&P 100 companies saying that, well, we hired 300,000 more people. 6% of the people we hired were white. Okay, 6% of the population isn't white, so what went on here? And, well, they tell us direct discrimination against white applicants because that's what you asked us to do. BLM, Biden administration, Democrats, etc. The various groups that have demanded this. And the, the effects, I just, I can't really fathom in my head how much damage this must have done to the level of American competency in the most powerful American companies. The fact that you are literally just hiring on the basis of race now entirely. I mean, we could see here in the less senior roles, I mean, the white population there of workers were just, just disappeared. They were kicked out. And every other level just massively discriminated against. And how do you know that? Well, they, they tell us. They, they literally tell us in which you're like, well, you demanded more brown people, so we hired more people because they were brown. So all this is going to do is make it easier for the AI to replace everybody. Because yeah. if, if, if you've, got the, you've got these big corporations who are not hiring based on merit and hiring on other criteria, by definition, you're going to have a crisis of competency. So it's just, it's just going to make it quicker for, for the AI to come and replace basically everybody. I was actually yeah. watching something, uh, the Labour Party conference, it's this uh, comedy show, and uh, there was these speakers who came on and started whining about the fact that uh, we have to regulate in Britain AI algorithms because they're secretly racist as well. They keep trying to get uh, workers fired yeah. because... I mean, the way large language models work is pattern recognition, which, as we know, is the root of all racism. It is indeed. I, I do love, though, because they were arguing. Uh, and There's a lady who comes on. She says, um, this is actually horrific. I do agree with this lady who came on and said that she works in a call center, and there are now uh, the company that she uh, works with, she represents the union. Uh, they're using AI to determine whether or not the tone of voice by the person in the call center was sufficiently happy 
And if they're not sufficiently happy, they get it on a mark. And then an AI manager determines whether or not that human being should be fired mm -hmm. because the AI monitor gives its data to an AI manager. And then a human manager at this point does overview the AI manager's decisions. But the only reason that's currently happening is because they want to perfect the AI management position. And then they will literally just fire everyone. Humans not needed. P people are training their own replacements, including the managers. Yeah, which is a whole other situation. But then I love that the next lady came on and said, by the way, all of these AIs that are judging us are also incredibly racist. And it's like, well, in the United States, I mean, we could literally just point to, well, you weren't hiring on competency, you were hiring on race. So it wouldn't be a huge surprise if you got incompetent candidates. Maybe you should hire on competency and then you end up with competent people. Of all races, it's not really that hard. But this is the United States. I mentioned it before. I want to talk about this one here because this is Britain in which the exact reverse seems to have happened. This is in 2021. FTSE 100, so our version of the S&P, let's say, proportion of white male leaders is increasing. Now, it's only ever so slightly, a couple of percentage points. Yep. Nothing. Basically, not news. I mean, if this was a couple of percentage points the other way, no one would have a complaint. Wouldn't be a story. Well, and also, it's the FTSE 100, so it's literally two people. Yeah, that's that as well. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, what do you think the response is from our elite in our country? This is a travesty. How could this happen? How could the, the leaders of the companies become slightly more white? Okay, weird, weird admission. It also, it also explains why all these companies go woke. It's that, look at the shiny thing again. Look at, don't yeah. look at our board. Don't look at what we do. Look at what we say we're doing. We support Black Lives Matter. We support the LBGTQ community. It's all about well, the only thing, look the only away. Thing the managers at this level really care about is the share price. And the share price is, in, in to a large extent, determined by the flows. And the flows are determined by groups like BlackRock and Vanguard. Hmm. And they have policies that say, you know, if, if you want to get um, if you want to get investment from us, you're going to need to do, well, all of the things you just said. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I don't think any of these organizations, especially when you start looking at that size and, that, and that, those positions, I don't think they believe in any of it. I think it's all the tick box exercise. Yeah. And even people like BlackRock saying you've got to do it, it's, they're doing it so people won't look at them as well. It's yeah. all virtue signaling. And it's a shiny key thing. Look, look here. Oh, look yeah, here. But, but, well, I mean, weird analogy, but remember when the um, Canadian Parliament was, was clapping that Nazi? I mean, if, if hmm. for whatever reason, you know, we, Nazism was the new thing. I'm sure all of these companies would be behind it. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, they'd, they'd be like but they were they were in yeah. the 30s. Well, yeah, they, they would again. <laughs> Completely moralless world. Yeah. I mean, and kind of good because that makes them at least make money. And then the yeah. correct response from the liberal world is, okay, these guys have no morals. Let's just let them do their thing and make money. And then we have a society that's rich. And um, we'll just intervene when they do something, I don't know, like killing babies. No. Seems like a better system than forcing them to sing Erica because it's new and fashionable. Mm at least in Canada. But they say in here, this, uh, they, take, they go to a couple of race grifters, of course, and get quotes about how disgusting this is. They, in the UK, apparently we managed to survive mass culling of white candidates for senior positions. They go to Pavita Cooper, deputy chair of the 30% club, presumably just demands 30%, what, minorities? Whatever. She said, the index once again demonstrates the urgent need for the private sector to get serious about inclusion. Because how dare? How dare there be white men in a position of, what, society? I mean, it, it is just naked at this point. It so is so when, when I was doing um, stuff connected to this um, sort of 20 years ago, the big pushback then was to get more women on boards. Hmm. And basically what you ended up get, 
getting is there was a handful of women who actually qualified to do that and they just spent all of their time going from one board meeting to the next. Yeah, because we need the woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are literally just a vagina to us. Yeah. Why? Not because we value that way, but because yeah. the government came to us and told us to value that way. Yeah. I mean, she goes on to say, it is simply not right to be marginalizing women and racially and ethnic diverse groups. No one had even mentioned women. So, I mean... We, we can tokenize them, though. But they're all the same thing. Trevor Phillips, though. Now, Trevor Phillips is a guy that we've spoken about quite a lot before. He is not someone who's a moron. Uh, he served as the... Uh, what was it? The, I think he was the Labour advisor, not the minister. I'm getting this right. Yeah, it was for, a minister. For the equality uh, department back yeah. in the day. He's the architect of the 2010 Equality Act, along with a few other people. And... Um, has since spent his life being like, oh God, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> the damage is irrepensible. Yeah. And um, this is why I found weird. He decided to turn around to this news and say, it was telling that white men rarely held senior diversity and inclusion jobs. Why? Because nobody takes uh, it uh, seriously and thinks it matters that much. So that's a good place for a woman in the minorities to go where they can earn quite a lot of money and can call themselves chief somethings. And this is him berating Presumably what he thinks. The old boys club, the white men club that's keeping our brother down. I don't know about you guys, I've never met one. It's, it's pretty hard. I, I always thought that would be kind of an easy way to live life, find the old men's club and actually coast off that for the rest of my life. But no, they don't really exist. And what I love is he, he says all this, like how dare people think that women are just going to be put into these positions where they get paid to be chief somethings. But because this is like some personnel outlet, you want to you see, I don't know if we can get it properly. But there's one on the right there, and there's some more here. Do you see how much these are paying? Yep. Just it, at the same time that they're telling us how ridiculous it is. You know, people think that women and minorities are just taking on these jobs to well, steal money from various companies because you literally can in the UK. They offer a bunch of jobs where you can just steal money for being a woman or a minority. Yeah, I wonder what the, um, uh, the, 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 the demographic profile of um, diversity in HR leads are. Well, there was something funny that happened once, and I, I don't know if I told you guys. Shut up. Tell me to shut up if I have. We went and did a live event once, and three white guys came up afterwards. And went, oh, you know, we're big fans. And I said, oh, what do you do for a living? They said, oh, uh, we work in banks in the city. Uh, but our side gig is that we're in charge of the diversity and inclusion departments. Thought, okay, a bit weird. Why are you here then? He says, oh, well, we took them over so that we could have all the power. So whenever they get a case of someone was transphobic in the lunchroom, they go, oh, that's terrible. In the bin. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want the jobs, Smart. take them. But, I mean, you will have to claim to be a black lesbian. But, I mean, what are they going to do? Check. But you can see here, just for people listening, workforce, EDI lead, I'm just going to say die lead instead. 51 grand. There's another one there from 45 grand, and then this one for 62 grand. And that's just the ones listed in an article, whining that this totally doesn't happen, bro. I mean, it's just, that's what I mean by these people don't seem to know anything. They have no idea what has happened to the world. Not only are we living in one where we hire people on the basis of race instead of competence on the regular, in fact, en masse through the most powerful parts of the economy. But then when it comes to the UK that managed to survive a year of this, I mean, some good news, they sit there and whine about how, trust me, it's not like women and minorities are being used to siphon off loads of money from companies while offering us positions where you could do exactly that. They moan because it's their job to moan. That's their whole industry. It's, it's, yeah, so they may know it's not true. Some, I think some of them do know it's not true. Some of them really buy into it. But their job is to moan how unfair life is. That's their job. Whilst getting paid 62K yeah. to, to measure the genitals and the skin tone of the workforce. Good work if you can get it. I said the story last time when I was on talking about the same thing. A very good friend of mine, his daughter is in her 20s. 
and every job she goes for, she gets. And she takes the gay box, she takes the black box, she takes the disabled box, and she's none of them, and she gets every job. Yeah. And when I asked her about it, she went, well, who's going to ask me? Who, who's going to ask me to prove I'm disabled? Who's going to ask me I'm gay? And who has the guts to ask me, oh, what ethnicity are you? Do who's got the guts to ask me those questions? I think really wants to. So... She, she ticks all, but I'm not saying that's how, why she gets a job. We don't know why she gets a job, but she gets every job she goes for. Hmm. But on that note, we'll go to the video comments. Good career advice. <laughs> I'm very glad I waited a few days to do this. Happy birthday, Dan. <laughs> Hope it was a good one. Everyone, I wanted to show off some things I was collecting since I started watching Brokenomics. Hope you guys enjoy. Oh. Local man actually has money instead of currency. Has he got tiny hands with those massive silver coins? <laughs> I think they're massive silver coins. All of our subscribers have huge hands, the best hands. <laughs> He's showing off Tolkien there. All right. Very nice. Yeah. I don't know if they're one ounce sovereigns or something, but uh, very nice. So, Arthur, show me you live in a diverse area without saying it out loud. There it is. <laughs> I have no idea what that one's about. Do you, uh, do you have a smoke alarm that goes off every 30 seconds? No. Chirping? No? Well, it turns out you're not black. I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> this is a, a discovery that's been made during, uh, well, from TikTok, really. Right. Those of black creators kept making TikToks and rap videos, etc. And because of the internet, everyone could start hearing these little chirps in the background and wondering what they were. So people started commenting about it and they were like, that's not the smoke alarm. The hallway just makes that noise. <sighs> yeah, my, my smoke alarm started chirping last night <laughs> and I changed it within about a minute. Right. I live, I, did I hear something? Yes, I did. It's a smoke alarm. I'll go and get a battery and change it. Right. And it seems to be a cultural thing too. It's not yeah. a wealth thing. People assumed it was wealth. Right. And then they started checking out like multi-millionaires who are hosts of TV shows or rappers or whatnot. Smoke alarm. Well, there, there, there are rap songs, professionally produced rap songs where you can hear the chirp. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> I've not heard of this, right? Uh, it's become a good meme. Like, everyone's right. enjoying it. Like, right. there's loads of black TikTokers who are like, this is offensive and racist and beep. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Greetings, Lotus Eaters. You're doing well and you're doing good. You're already persuading this that guy. Watch his slow advance to the right. I couldn't really afford this, but with the Sargonics use, I've made it part of my marketing budget. It means I have to shell stuff to you in a week or so. But you all love supporting independent business, right? Still, let's have a little fun first. That's a good idea. If anyone's got a business yeah. and needs yeah, another not? business expense, I mean, becoming a sponsor of this place, yeah, that that is business expense. So, there you are. I would like to thank Bo and Carl for mentioning In the Shadow of the Sword by Tom Holland last week. I have since bought myself a copy and a copy for my mother as well. It's a bit of a shame that he endorsed grooming gangs on the weekend. Tom Holland? Holland. Yeah. Did you, see, did you not see? I saw it. It's a bit strong. He, did, he didn't endorse grooming gangs, but he, yeah. Was gross. He, he said a really bad worded tweet from 2015. He said something like, uh. um, The people who ignored it were at least doing it for a noble cause, yeah. which was trying to stop racism. Yeah. And everyone was just like, what? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Like, no. 
I mean, to be honest, you know, death for the people engaging in grooming gangs, of course. I believe in the death penalty. But for the people who covered it up, I don't know what to do with them. I think, I think they've also got to get the worst punishment. Because it reminds me of the IRA, where they would keep the worst punishment for traitors. Mm. I mean, if you know about a pedophile abusing children, you're in a position of power to stop him, and you do nothing. I think you are worse than the pedophile. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, you should get at least, at least an equal treatment, yeah. Well, I say at least an equal They should at least I, I lose their jobs. I, I don't mean 18 months nominated. in jail and then being let out. I mean what they should have got in the first place. Yeah. Mm. The next one. Day two of Wasabi Con, and it's supposed to be the busy day. Yesterday I made a whole lot of sales, and so I'm expecting a lot today. But also, good news, the referendum failed. I am so glad mm. my country mm. remains based. Things are changing oh, all over. I see what you mean about American food. This is an entree. That's a full-size meal. We, we did film a thing about American culture, so if you want to go and check our thoughts, I don't know when that's coming out, but one of the things, why do they say entree and appetizer? We don't. We just say starter, mains, desserts. Yeah. yeah. How did that happen? That know. sounds French, and if they think French is better than English, sounds a bit more posh. Okay, I still don't know what entree means. Is that the the first thing or the second thing? Entree is the first thing. Maybe yeah. by entrance, it's the beginning. Yes, entree is the start. Yes. So then, what do they call a main? Well, in French, I don't know. Uh, some some bollocks. We right. need we need a French supporter to to do a video for us. Yeah, we have got a French guy somewhere in the chat. Le French something. He keeps changing yes. his name. Can I just put up, I wanted to appreciate, I didn't want to interrupt you in the middle of the segment. I'm going to send John, just so everyone can appreciate it if they haven't seen it, which is uh, one segment from Life of Mars, Life on Mars, sorry. I'll put it in Studio One as well, I suppose. Um, okay. Just because I, I didn't want to interrupt and go on a big spin, but I just love Life of Mars. Like I really want to do something about it because mm -hmm. it was such a good TV show and oh. also has the best ending ever, which is that just kills himself. Fox playing a magical tune. But inside this box, there lies a surprise. Do you know who's in it today? It's Sam Tyler. Hello, Sam. How are you today? Oh, dear. Not very happy. Is it Gene Hunt? Is he kicking in a nonce? Not gonna lie, that kind of makes me want the old Manchester you describe, even with the corruption. I'm just like, eh, well. <laughs> you don't remember that, surely? What that um, that kid, uh, Camberwell Green? Oh, whatever it's referencing, no. Right, okay. I was gonna. I, I remember that as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're on reruns when I was little, but yeah. Apparently, the entree is the, oh, is main, the main meal. So the, oh, the appetizer, I presume, is the starters. Then. Yeah. Uh, What's the thing you have that's not appetizers, but right at the real start, like nibbles? Yeah. Or d'oeuvres. Or d'oeuvres. There we go. Right. Oh, what a silly language. Anyway. You're <laughs> in English. As we go to the red comments on the site. Yes. All right. Um. Uh, Bladley says, uh, ooh, bit, bit, a bit of an essay, this one. We should be careful about the idea that uh, Russian's army is weak. Uh, the Ukraine had the largest standing army in Europe. Yeah, it was significant. Their, their army was significantly larger than the UK army. Um, and it's been trained by NATO, uh, equipped for them for decades. 
Um, Russia can now build munitions and armor faster than the West combined. Yeah, so that, that, that so he's referencing the point that I wanted to come back because there was some Wally in chat who was who was saying, "Doesn't Dan understand that um, they can just print money? The West can just print money." It's like, well, yeah, but you can't print munitions or soldiers. Mm. So you know that's that's not going to do you any good. And something we talked about off air as well is um, uh, the the Russians can produce their munitions at something like a tenth or a fiftieth or whatever of. Of, of the American cost because the Americans so much is built into the provisioning process. Um, there is a weirdness yeah. to Russia that people fail to understand. So a lot of people will say, well, Russia's only got an economy the size of Italy. It's actually lower than Italy now. And people say that as a point of, wow, look how ridiculous yeah, measured in dollars. Yes. Mm. But of course, converted to the local prices of things. Yes. Like the Russians have unbelievable purchasing power. Yeah, and can get a lot more done for a lot less. So there is an argument that, you measure, you that instead of measuring GDP in dollars, which is a really bad system, but the Americans like to measure it in dollars. If you, you can measure it in energy, in which case they're well up there, or purchasing power, which is even even more neutral one. And then, I think they become third or something. Yeah, and and Russia, um, sorry, China has already easily surpassed the US Probably on purchasing right. power uh, parity. It also makes sense to measure these things in patriotism as well. Yeah, and culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that matters as well. Um, they become sixth, I should say. Yeah, George Hamp says, after reading the Andrew Neil article, I think people like that shouldn't be allowed to vote because he has terrible opinions. Doesn't mean he can participate in the political system and danger our freedoms. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, SH Silver, who's always given, also given me a kicking in the chat. Uh, don't worry, guys. Biden says that we can afford two wars. You know, I don't remember anyone voting for it. Not the public or the Congress or declaring war, but they sure do love sending money after the executive to decide for us. Um, and never forget the Ukraine war was to cover up the Biden corruption in the um, re- Ukraine regime. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these things serve a number of um, narrative excuses for the regime who can, uh, you know, just just focus on whatever the, the current shiny thing is that's being waved in front of us as we go. Uh, Brandon says, I-, I said it before and I said it again, uh, the credit for curing COVID goes to Mr. Putin. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would have been somebody else if it wasn't Putin. It would have been some other thing they dug up. Lord Nerevar says, I don't remember Ukraine, but my tax bill sure as hell does. Yes, quite. Um, a man who thinks about the Roman Empire says, Ukraine has bigger problems than just being a corrupt cesspool where money laundering is occurring. NATO members don't have any more munitions to send to Ukraine. It seems like Trump calling out uh, members for not meeting that 5% GDP commitment was actually having an impact now. Um yeah, yeah, that's fair. So again, this is this goes to the thing of people who try and measure all of these things in dollars. If you measure thing, all of these things in dollars, um, then it looks like um, Ukraine is easily going to beat um, Russia. But if you measure it in actual productive output of the things that mm. matters in a kinetic war, then then it looks completely differently. Um, screw tape lasers um, says, I think the regime is very happy with the Ukraine outcome. Um, Russia has burnt through their 140,000 trained soldiers now running on conscripts. There's no young... I don't think that's accurate. Um, there's no young folk left to support further expansion. The war was never about victory for Ukraine. It was about grinding Russian down and laundering money. Well, so I agree the, um, the regime is very happy with the outcome because they wouldn't have done it otherwise. Mm-hmm. So yes, of course, they're, of course, they're perfectly happy with it. Um, and it was never about victory. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was never about victory for Ukraine. I don't think they have actually ground down Russia. Um, and, they, and yeah, they did They did um, launder money. So I agree with, you know, about 60% of that. But um, I think some of the focus... I think Screwtape Flazer was a guy who was saying that they could just print more money. Or maybe that was... Um, I don't know. But anyway, Kevin Fox was saying, Ukraine hasn't helped its cause with all the videos coming out of the pool parties and nightclub crowds. Yeah, have you seen those? Yeah. Yeah, but it's a huge place. Like, there's yeah. going to be nightclub parties... Across the country, if your country is freaking huge. Yeah, but it, 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 it is totally a bit odd when you've got 
um, a bunch of parties with well-connected young men, and then you're getting other videos of of, of y- other young guys being dragged out of cars. Sure, I mean, a lot of them are on rotation. Like, uh, I've seen some videos of people going to comedy clubs to try and get that exact perspective. So they went to some of the army guys who are at the comedy club and like, yeah, so what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, it's pretty hard to laugh because this guy's got his leg missing. <laughs> so, you know, they yeah. don't not get it either. Um, what yeah. is kind of funny is how little the women seem to have been affected in Ukraine because the IDF is obviously recruiting their women to fight, well, Palestine and all the other Arabs yeah. around them. But the Ukrainians, of course, did the whole conscription of men thing, but didn't conscript any of the women as far as I'm aware? I think they have for medical personnel. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. But they're, they're not yet putting them on the front line. Because it was kind of, oh, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't want to be a... Like, eh, I'm going to phrase this properly. <laughs> we are in the end of the show, so you've got a lot more liberty than you normally would. Sure, but I mean, imagine you'd been fighting, some of your friends are dead, you've lost a leg, and then you come back and all the women are just living their lives like nothing's happened. I mean, yeah. not to go to full MRA, but that would make me go full MRA. Well, yes. Well, but I mean, also imagine you go off and fight on the front line, you lose a leg, and you come back, and you find that whole whole sort of power class is now driving around in Bentleys. Yeah, um, sure. which is the other thing that's happening. Well, most of them seem to have left, like their families have left, mm. which which is why everyone's uh, elite does. Yeah, I mean, kind of one of the funny things is about Putin's kids. They're in the West, which a lot of Russians are very angry about because they're like, "What the hell, man? But you can't have your kids studying the West." So, sorry. Yeah, I mean, he studied in Germany, didn't I think? Or he worked in Germany or something for a long time. That was when he was in the KGB. Right, okay. Because it was East Germany. Well, he wouldn't want his children in Russia in case he falls. Maybe. Because if he falls, they get executed as well. Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. Yeah. Anyway, from the Russians I spoke to, that was one of the criticisms, which is just true of every global elite, it seems. I mean, do you remember the Iraq war when they invaded Kuwait? And then they found out, what was it, the Kuwaiti royal family uh, children were studying in the United States. And then they were the ones that went to the UN and said, oh, yes, the Iraqis are killing babies. Oh, the, yeah. The story, like, you haven't been in Kuwait for three years. The 14-year-old girl and the, um, the, the baby <clears throat> incubator thing. Yeah. yeah. She hadn't been in country in years. Yes. Because that's but, the thing. But, Everyone's global elite just... Yeah, but it worked perfectly. That, that, I mean, that was a yeah. really powerful piece of PR. Yeah. And there, was no, there was no alt media at the time to do any debunking or any social media to, to say, hey, yeah. this, this is questionable. Um, the French Big Ball says uh, something people often forget to mention that despite the war, the sanctions and everything, Russia is doing better economically now than it was two years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've been to Russia recently. Uh, um, Ken, what, what was your perspective on that? Yeah, true. Um, the GDP fell a little bit in the first year, uh, way less than everyone was predicting. Everyone was predicting about 40% or something crazy. And then they're growing every year yeah. now. So there you are. <coughs> the sanctions did nothing. And uh, a lot of people didn't want to hear that because they thought it was just Russian propaganda. It was like, no, you really. Nothing's changed. War works. I mean, exactly what Hitler did in the 30s. War financed his whole operation. It was the fact going to war creates money, create resources. Maybe, but in Russia, Maybe that's... not forever. Well, it, it reallocates resources. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, not the same situation because they're not invading countries and taking their wealth or stealing it from the Jews or something like that. Yeah. There's no sources like that. The Russian economy just isn't really hit by Western sanctions because yeah. Western sanctions only apply to such a small part of the economy, it seems. Yeah. The only major thing I saw change in people's lives was tech. So if you wanted uh, Apple products or such, that obviously now legally yeah. no longer go directly to Russia. But Kazakhstan's a good friend, and we never have sanctioned Kazakhstan. So it gets flown there, and then yeah. it gets flown to Moscow. Yeah. So it just gets a 2% markup on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Monkton says, it seems the sheep are susceptible to the BS, uh, COVID, and Ukraine. Uh, one was a smokescreen for the debacle that preceded it. 
it's tired old gold and it has done and, and, and it has done increase all it has done is increase the need for taxation revenue because poor decision making and there's no economy to speak of that's not possible uh yeah i mean all of these things they they, they serve the uh, they serve the regime they reorder uh, the money and the power in the way that they want it done and so on um and i'll, I'll just end on uh, le french big balls who says uh, Russia won when they left Kherson and heavily fortified the position um, in the winter last year. Everything after that has been money laundering, Western propaganda and the genocide of the Ukrainian men. NPCs forget about Ukraine as their uh, programming gets updated. Yeah, and, th- and that's the thing that bothers me so much is mm. tens of thousands of Ukrainian men just died leadlessly when there was a peace deal um, well, over, well, 18 months ago. Yep. Could, could have had it, but no, um, it, it served Western interests to uh, to keep it going. So... You know, God knows how many people have been slaughtered for something that just—it was just entirely bloody obvious from the word go how it was going to end up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very all sad. white working-class men have yeah. always sacrificed in Europe. Yeah, quite. Yes, always. Um, do you want to? Do you want to see some of your comments, or, or do you want to? If you could read them out, I ain't got my glasses, yeah. so I can't read them out. So we got um, X Y Z says, uh, "Hope that when Nick becomes mayor, he can grab the police by the scruff of the necks and rub their noses in the mess they've made." Will that be day one. Day one, we're gonna. I promise people we're going to create a police force in Greater Manchester. We're not going to have a police service anymore. No more pink and fluffy. No more enforcing tweets. It's going to go back to basic. You're going to get rid of the police service and have a police force. Police force. So we're going force. to change. Yeah, all logos will go. It'll be a police force, and we're going to get back to. I want streets where it's safe for you to walk down, but criminals on those same streets are scared stiff for being caught and scared stiff for the police. Yes. Yes, perfect. Uh, Matt Thompson says, Peter Hitchens described the modern British police as uh, paramilitary social workers. Yeah. Yeah, Paramilitary for the Guardian newspaper, maybe. Yeah, that's about right. Um, Paddy Griff, um, PCCs won't be able to achieve anything um, um, even if they want to, so long as the College of Policing still exists. Yeah, what's your take on that? I'll be pulling out the College of Policing day one. I think the College of Policing is actually a private company private company owned by the home secretary so the director changes every time the home secretary changes right okay uh rue the day says um when nick is mayor we will have the power to legalize choose your weapon jewels um against um people you 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 have a disagreement with no you're probably not going with the jewels no 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 jewels there's a more gentle (laughs) time wasn't it yes yes uh richard uh, jewels 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 yeah. yeah, you know. Jewels at dawn, okay. pistols at I thought launch. you were saying something that started with a J. I was like, I, that, I wasn't. Jewels. Oh, no, 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 no. Jewels. Yeah. Not, not Candy Crush or something. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm talking about where you um, you get presented a box and you have to choose yes. either a, yeah, yeah. a sword or a yeah. gun. You insulted my wife, sir. Yes. I shall see you tomorrow at dawn. Oh, top could tip you for imagine jewels. if criminals operated like that? <laughs> top, top tip for Jewels. If the other guy chooses a sword, make sure you pick a gun. Yeah. yeah. It's a way to do these things. Uh, finally, Richard Monkton says, that's a major problem with the commissioner roles. They should have teeth as opposed to being political uh, or be seen as a stepping stone to a career. Corruption and lack of service needs addressing with regards to police. The buck passing is never ending. They uh, do have teeth. There's things the police crime commissioner can do if right. they don't mind being unpopular, oh. if they don't mind being pulled to court, if they don't mind being criticised by the M- an MP. There's things you can do. It's just cowards and career right. politicians and people looking for the next step they won't do anything with the sharp teeth. That's the difference. Yeah. Things can be done. That's why I keep saying to people, I'm going to do these things. And I get messages all the time, Nick, you can't do that. And I'm going to do it. And I'll see him in court. Take me to court. And then we'll thrash it out there. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the electoral system that we have 
could work in some theory, but not with the political structures that we have built up around it in the, the political parties because they just end up corrupting everything as hmm. exactly as you've described. Um, that's, that's all the comments from that. Over to you, Callum. Kevin Fox says, Give them what they want. Let every board of every company and every political cabinet be made up of diversity hires and affirmative action hires and see how quickly they turn every company to S. Then the same people pushing for this will blame white people who should have got those jobs through merits for not keeping the companies going. I mean, we're seeing that in real time, I suppose, in Canada. I, I didn't get a sense of how bad society seems to be running over there under Trudeau. Because he's kind of, you know, another one of those leaders who's obsessed with diversity and inclusion mm. and globalism and mass immigration or whatever. And you think, okay, whatever, this can't be that bad. Like the way he seems to be destroying Canadian society, and I mean in the sense that they all seem to me now arguing over insane stuff every day, even worse than us. Mm. Not to mention the house prices going through the roof because of the mass immigration. And then the diversity stuff just destroying any kind of reasonable competence at any level. I don't know, man. I think they might be the first to go. Canadians. As Kevin Fox is predicting there, like, imagine if a whole country did that. Yeah, I mean, they they don't seem to display any sort of survival instinct. But don't forget, he won't he won't be elected again, so he'll be out. And just like oh, I'm, I'm amazed he won last time. I'm amazed he won last time, but yeah. surely he can't win again, which means there'll be a swing to the right. And I think all these countries will be saved. I think we've got. I think in time we'll look back at this period and it's be a blip. This is a crazy blip. What, uh, the, the brief period of democracy? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah and free speech, post-war, yeah. uh, this illusion we have of freedom. I, I, I don't... Part of me sometimes think it's not going to last. Another part... I mean, a, a lot of it is a product of... After the Industrial Revolution, it served the interests of the, of the merchant class who were coming to power to have a disjointed and fractious elite. It worked in their interests, but it no longer works in interests of the, of the of essentially the merchant class in order to have a fractured elite. They want everything unified again. Mm. So yeah, all of those um, sort of enlightenment ideals, you would expect to naturally fall away. There's two ways of being successful. There's the historic way, which you would rise through the tribe and become your tribal leader. Mm. You'd have 1,500 people in your tribe. You would know them all by name. They would all know you by name. That's how you would get power. When it gets bigger than that, and that's what we have now, to control the people, and that's what you have to do as a leader, you have to control the people because there's too many of them to get to know. Yeah. And we use the tactics we've talked about, it's fear. Yeah. It's, it's splitting, try, splitting them into groups so they're, they're more afraid of each other than they have of you. Yeah. And that's the period we're in now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, all politics is now herd, herd control, mm. cattle management. Yeah. Matt Thompson says, list, list your ethnicity as black, apply for a job, do the Zoom interview, turn off the camera, play a smoke alarm with a chirp in the background, get the high-paying job. Some more career advice there, I suppose. I do want to quickly, I'll come back to the rest of the comments there. I want to mention the honorable mention from TMK out of context. Uh, adding to the segment oh, yeah. we did yesterday about Poland, where he's like, well, silver lining, at least our you know, ability to count ballots works. Within 48 hours, all the ballots are counted, all accounted for, and they're all there. Yeah. I still can't get over how bad the American election was. The the fact that how long did we wait? No, but it was like two weeks or something. They were still yeah. like, I don't know. We still don't know where half the ballots are. Yeah, if 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 Biden had won, um, then it wouldn't have taken two weeks. So would it? it would have been, it would have been all done wrapped up in forty eight hours. Yeah, I mean, he ended off here with saying that the website was updated every ten minutes in Poland with the number of votes compared to the U.S. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, some silver linings. At least you. Um, 
well, democratically, the country decided to vote for the EU, which, uh, well, I mean, your Poland steals some money while you're there. Why not? Screwtape Laser says the real insidious thing about the anti white hiring discrimination is it is creating destructive positive feedback loops in which people who are culturally immoral are perfectly happy to practice ethnic nepotism. The boardroom will eventually circle back to meritocracy, but there will be a generational hangover of racial preference in hiring and promotion processes. Yeah, almost certainly. I mean, I remember there was a, yeah, I think it was an Asian guy from Google who came out and spoke about the fact that he was working with loads of Indians and none of them were there because they were competent. They were literally just there because they had the connections through friends who had already got through on diversity hiring. So the, the pyramid just expands of incompetent mm. people based because it's, it's not just you got diversity hired. Okay. And then the next one and the next one, that's a problem. But then you're put in charge of hiring more people. You hire your friends or connections who are also just random people from your ethnic group, particularly strong when it comes to Indians. Cause of course, then you've got the caste system thrown in there, which whole other problem. Well, I mean, the, 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 basically, the rest of the world has always worked on that basis, which you, you, you give preferment based on blood. And it's, just, it's just the default mechanism for how you work. And it's just this historical anomaly in Northern Europe where we have this sort of individualistic ideal and, and we promote based on merit. Well, you get blips of it in like Korea or Japan, and it's you know, very well served in there. I mean, the, the one that's always thrown up as a historical example, I think it's uh, Admiral Yi in Korea. Where he he went from literally the bottom of the Korean Navy to like vice ab, no grand admiral, yeah. and then got fired and put all the way back, and then all the way back up again. Right, but it is it is a blip. It's it's not a, yeah. a, a yeah, solid most, system. Most of the world just does it on blood. And what we got now is we we have um, meshed the these two well. communities together by basically through mass immigration at a, at a at a pace so fast that it's just overwhelming the the culture that we have, and so therefore that's why you can walk into a Tesco's now and every single member of staff will be related to each other. Yeah, I noticed in Canada too, Tim Hortons. You know what Tim Hortons is? No. So it's like Costa Coffee, but it's Canadian, right? right? They sell donuts. They're great. And uh, then coffees and stuff. It's a franchise. And it's all over North America. There's a few in the UK now as well. And I noticed when you go to Canada or the, or the US uh, near the border, that every single one of them is run by Indians. And I mean, every single member of staff is Indian. And then you listen and you notice not a single one of them has a Canadian accent. It's not guys who have lived there for 10 years and have saved some money and bought <clears throat> Tim Hortons. It's all entirely people who have recently come. And it's like, okay, that seems natural. Just like the Asian chap in Google. Are they at least speaking in, in English or is it Hindi? They, um, it depends on who they're talking to. Right. And they would, uh, well, they routinely, I think almost every time we went to one, they got the order wrong. You had to correct them multiple times. But anyway, the guy from Google, so he left. And the reason he left is he wrote it all up. He was like, these guys have no idea what they're doing. They're literally just here because of the race-based profiling in Google. And they would come to him and ask him to help them with the work. Mm. And then eventually it got to the point where they were demanding that he help them with the work. And he just went to hell with you. Start my own company. Screw Google if this is how it works. So the, the top companies will go that way, it seems. I suppose I'll just hand this off for one more. X, Y, and Z says, I wonder if I should start using chat GPT to get me a job as a diversity czar. Sounds like a great grift if I can get it. Yeah. I did a segment on that once. So I actually applied yeah. for it as well. What did you get in the end? Did you get a response? Um, no, I don't know if I did. I did run a simulation once where um, the civil service were hiring uh, diversity internships. So I made two accounts. One where it was me, because the first time I didn't realize what it was, got denied for being white. And then I made the second account where I was some ridiculous name right. and I ticked all the boxes. And I got a call back inviting me for an interview. Yeah. I, 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 I suspect remember the, the name I put on it was Letitia Elkabab or something. And, <laughs> and 
Which I would have expected. El kebab. <laughs> well, I, I need. Were you looking around the room for things to write? You looked well, at your kebab. I need to come up with a name. It's first thing that popped into my head. It's like it's like that Family Guy sketch where it's P. T. A. Griffin. Like, anyway, we're out of time. So if you'd like to see more of you, Nick, yep, first, best time to promote. Yeah, yeah. Go to. I've got a website now, uh, Nick Buckley for Mayor at dot um, dot uk. All over social media, um, and if you like, say if you live near Wigan, come and see me on Monday the third, chief of October. Already, best Otherwise, of luck. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Bye bye.